couple of bad bits of news from this week that continue with uh, Biden. Uh, we have uh, Biden made a proclamation for the day of prayer, and he never mentioned the word God at all in the proclamation. That's one thing. And then he just got a new press secretary, and she is lesbian, gay. So that's bad. But what's good is, is that right now the liberals are very worked up about the fact that Roe versus Wade is likely to be overturned. And in fact, I saw in the news that the rumor has it that that's going to come out tomorrow. And rumor has it that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned tomorrow. Now, that's a pretty big thing. Now, it doesn't get rid of all abortion everywhere, but it gets rid of a lot of it. And it's a big step in the right direction. Uh, people have been working to get rid of Roe versus Wade for 50 years. Can you imagine Roe versus Wade has been in force for 50 years? And millions and millions and millions of babies have been aborted through all that. And Sunday school lessons have been on that uh, lately and Wednesday prayer meeting, and that's good. And it's timely, and especially with this decision coming out. And uh, if, we, if, if, if we otherwise didn't think it was good, uh, we can see that it's good in the, how worked up the liberals are. And they're just going through the roof right now. And they're over there at the justices' houses, not too far from here, and, and protesting. And they're in, uh, really worked up about it. And praise the Lord for that. It's a big step in the right direction. And praise the Lord. And we hope and pray that it actually will come out and that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. Well, let's turn again in our Bibles to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're continuing to go through uh, 2 Kings, and we're now up to chapter 4, and we have today a story of two women, uh, two godly women that God blessed. And so we have 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take, him un take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into, unto, into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons and brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thou would open up thy word to us, forgive us of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here we have this woman here. And so this woman is called a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. We don't have her name. Uh, many times in the Bible, the names of people are not given. We just have a nameless man of God. This is an anonymous woman, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Why is that that God doesn't take care to give all the names? Well, so that none of the glory goes to men and it goes to God. And to show that God is the one that's important in all of this. And so uh, these people appear and they disappear through the pages of Scripture. Uh, they have no names, but a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. So who are the sons of the prophets? The sons of the prophets. Well, those are the prophets in training, I would say. The sons of the prophets. And they had a, a sort of a prophet school there with Elisha. There were at least 50 of them there training under Elisha. Prophet was a very honored office in Israel at this time, back in the Old Testament. And a prophet gave out the word of God. Sometimes he would give out the future, but more he would just give out what God had to say. And what he did, as I've said many times here, he told people what they don't want to hear. And the prophets tended to do that, and they tended not to be very popular people because they told people what they didn't want to hear. And so this certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, she had a problem here. And it was a pretty big problem. She had a problem that she had a big debt. And of course, you know, students, they're known for not having any money because they're putting all their money into their studies, they don't have time to work a lot, they haven't got into their career yet, and so they are try to make ends meet, and it's kind of hard for students all through history, except now, now with Biden. Now with Biden, we're just going to forgive all their debts, let them take out big loans, and we're just going to erase those loans. And, but back in these days, back in the time of the Old Testament, they didn't do stuff like that. And debts were very serious things in, the, in history and back here in Bible times. And so if this person owed this money, this woman, uh, and she didn't pay the money, she could have her sons taken into slavery, into uh, being indentured servants at least. And they would be in slavery, if you will, because of that debt. Uh, back in England and years gone by, they had the debtor's prisons. And they would put people in debtor's prison for not uh, paying their debt. And of course, that was not a very good situation because you were put in debtor's prison because you didn't pay your debt. And then you had no way to earn money in prison to pay your debt. And so you were just stuck there uh, in many cases. But anyway, debts were serious business. You know, debts were serious business anyway for Christians. And you know, just because a person can get away with not paying their debt, does that mean they shouldn't pay it? No, we're, we're liable to pay our debts. The Bible says, owe no man anything. And that means let's pay our debts. Pay what you owe. Owe no man anything. And I've seen people that they have the attitude, well, if they can get away with not paying, then they don't pay. 
And in our country today, you can declare bankruptcy. You can uh, build up huge debts and then all of a sudden declare bankruptcy, not be liable for any of those debts. And probably at the most, your name is blackened on the credit list for seven years. But you know, uh, it wasn't that way back here. And so she cried unto Elisha, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And that's a great thing when somebody fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's fearing the Lord. Fearing his judgment. It's not just a little bit of respect. It's fearing him. He's our father, that's true, but we fear his judgment as well. And so here, thy servant did fear the Lord. And so this, this woman, I'm sure she had made many sacrifices to have her husband be in that school of the prophets. And so she cried to Elisha. She didn't know where else to go. She cried to Elisha, and Elisha uh, took notice of her cries and helped her. And so here he was like a father to all of those people in the prophet's school. And so Elisha asks, what do you have in the house? And she says, all I have is a little bit of oil. You know, oil was very valuable back in those days, olive oil. And it's still valuable today, but it was even more valuable back then. They didn't have petroleum, anything like that. They used olive oil. They used olive oil to cook. They used olive oil on their skin. They used olive oil for light. They used olive oil for all kinds of things. And it was very valuable. And, uh, you know, I brought along a little uh, object lesson here this morning. See this little thing here? What do you suppose that is? Of course, it's part of it's broken off, so it's not as easy to tell. But there should be a little bit of a uh, thing sticking out there. This is an ancient olive oil lamp. And you put the olive oil down in there, you put a wick down in here, and you'd have a little portable flashlight or whatever to give you light. And this is probably centuries old here, actually. I picked it up over in Burma one time, way back. But anyway, here we have this, and that's what they had back in those days, these little olive oil lights and with the olive oil. And she had just a little bit of olive oil, had many uses, was very valuable, but she didn't have very much of it. And so Elisha said to go borrow all the vessels that you can borrow. So she went out and borrowed all these vessels from all the neighbors, got a huge amount of vessels together, not a few. And of course, here was a little bit of a test of her faith, I guess, to see how many vessels she would gather. And uh, if she had a lot of faith, she'd gather a lot, a little bit of faith, not so many. But anyway, she was told to gather not a few. And so she gathered all these vessels, and then she was told to shut the door and pour out into the vessels, and it just never ended. She kept on pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring till all the vessels were full, and then the oil stayed. It didn't go anymore. Now this is very interesting here. This is a miracle here that God did. A miracle of not the loaves and the fishes, but here we have the miracle of the olive oil here. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting here. Did God tell her to make a show of that? 
to, to make a big show and show everybody? No, he said exactly the opposite. To shut your door and do it. You know, today, the Pentecostals, Charismatics, they like to make big shows of their miracles. And they're going to put on a really big show and show everybody how, how God is using them. And you know, of course, of course they, they, they show how they are being used and how they are special, and, and that's how it is with all of these things. But here's this anonymous lady. She is told to do it up back in the back room, shutting the door. And you know, when Jesus was asked to put on a show of his miracles, did he do it? No. He wouldn't do it. And it's not a show. In, uh, in Brazil, they have a church down there that says they have the show of faith. Like a really big show. And so here we have, that was not what we had. And another thing is on this miracle here, the Pentecostals will tell you, that we should be able to do all the miracles that they did in the Bible. Well, should we go in a back room and get a bunch of vessels and try to pour a bunch of olive oil in them? No. That was a one-time miracle. And that's how the miracles are in the Bible. So she poured all of that oil. The oil stayed when she got through with the vessels. And she was told to go and pay her debt and live of the rest. And so her sons were not sold into slavery. You notice, when God blesses us, he blesses us in that point where we most need it, and where nothing else will work. And uh, you know, this lady had served the Lord, her husband had served the Lord, had gone into the ministry of being a prophet, and here when she needed something, she needed to the thing most in her life right there, not having her son sold into slavery, the Lord was there to help her. And that's how the Lord is with us. And his blessings uh, go down to where we need it. Well, then we have a second lady here that God honors. Two, two ladies here in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we read this in our responsive reading earlier. The Shunammite. She's another anonymous, nameless lady, except that we know where she came from. She's called a Shunammite, from Shunem. And she was there in Shunem, and we're told that she was a great woman. Well, what, what gives you that title of a great woman? Probably she was well-to-do. Probably she had some money. Uh, they're a great woman. What made Alexander the Great great? Well, he was able to defeat all his enemies and conquer the world. He was the great. There we have a great woman. And it says here, and she constrained Elisha to eat bread. And it looks like Elisha passed by her house quite often. This wasn't actually in Israel. This was in Phoenicia there, Shunem, just outside of Israel. And she constrained him to eat bread. Just a little English lesson right here. Constrain. Is constrain the same as restrain? <clears throat> no. It's the opposite. Constrain, you make somebody do something. Restrain, you keep them from doing it. And today I notice in the news and other places, they don't know the difference between constrain and restrain, and they get them confused. 
But here it is, constrained. And she constrained, she made him eat bread. Notice in the Bible, it uh, always has about eating meat and eating bread. There's a lot of health food people today that'll tell you that bread and meat aren't good for you. And I run into them. Uh, my relatives say bread's no good. They say meat's no good. And they all this. And uh, they got uh, my future son-in-law. He has uh, vegan parents. And you know, it's, they're all around here. But you know, the Bible, it's synonymous with eating is eating bread. Synonymous with eating is eating meat. How could it be so bad if that's the synonym for eating? And, uh, and you see it over and over and over. And of course, with the Passover, with the sacrifices, they ate meat. And with the communion, we have bread. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And so we see this lady here, the Shunammite. She is very hospitable. Hospitable. She wants to show hospitality to this passing prophet here. And uh, is that something important for Christians? To show hospitality, to be hospitable? It is. It's, it's pointed out in the Bible. It says that an elder should be one that shows hospitality. It shows, it has hospitality many times in the Bible. And what is hospitality? Well, that's sharing uh, food, sharing lodging with people. And uh, that's something that's kind of out of style today. It's out of style, out of date. But what the Bible teaches is never out of date. And hospitality is great. And it's uh, from the Lord. And I might mention that this church is a very hospitable church. We'll flatter you a little bit. But anyway, we praise the Lord for that. And uh, you know, the thing is, uh, hospitality, and she showed hospitality to this man of God. She made him a chamber. She made him a room. And we have verse 9. She said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God. She could perceive that, that he was a man of God, that he was serving the Lord. He was a holy man of God. What does that mean, holy? Set apart. He was set apart to the Lord, this holy man of God. You know, that's what happens when we have ordination. When we ordain somebody to the ministry, ordain them to be deacon, ordain them to be elder, they're set apart to the ministry. So this is a holy man of God set apart. And they were going to make him a little chamber on the wall. What does that mean on the wall? Well, I think what it means is it's a city wall there. And their house was right up against the city wall. And they were going to put, give him a chamber there. And I think that was common procedure. People would build their houses right up on the wall. Remember with Rahab back in Jericho. Uh, she had the cord outside her window on the wall. And uh, so that was a common procedure. And here we have this house, little room on the wall for Elisha. And here's another principle that we have in the New Testament as well, is that if somebody ministers spiritual things, they should get some carnal things in return. And 
Uh, Paul said, is it a big thing if I get carnal things, if I minister unto you spiritual things and uh, earthly things? And that's what happened here with Elisha. He was ministering spiritual things, and she gave him some earthly things. Uh, gave him a bed, a table, a stool. We got all the furniture there in the little chamber there, and a candlestick. And so he would come in there, and he would spend time as he traveled back and forth. So then Elisha is sitting there and thinking about things, and he's thinking about, what can I do for this lady? She's been doing this for me all along. And, uh, and uh, so he called his servant, Gehazi. And you know, servant really doesn't give us the sense of servant in the Bible, actually. Servant is slave in the Bible. And uh, it seems that uh, Elisha had a slave probably here. Gehazi, that was, slavery was an established institution that everybody had slaves back in those days, or most people had slaves. And you know, they like to criticize George Washington because he had slaves and Thomas Jefferson and whoever. And oh, don't you know they're bad and we need to tear down their statues and, and all these things? Well, we don't, we don't like slavery, but that, everybody had slaves back in those days. And you can't judge people in the standards of today, that they're supposed to keep all those standards. And here we have Elisha. He had a servant. And he called to his servant and said, call the Shunammite and ask what she wants. And it's interesting, the list of things that Elisha says that he could give to her. He could talk to the king or talk to the captain of the host for her to get a favor or two for her or some consideration from the king and the captain of the host. Of course, he's talking about the Israeli from Israel captain and king. And she says she lives among her own people there, among the Phoenicians there just outside of Israel. And so she didn't want that. And it's interesting here, Elisha had influence. Prophets had some influence, even though they weren't really very popular especially the smaller prophets, but the greater prophets had input into the king, input into the captain, and input into the government there. And so then, who is it that tells Elisha who, what he should do for this Shunammite? It's his servant. And the servant perceives that she has no children. And you know, that was regarded as a curse almost back in those days and in history not to have any children, or a great disadvantage. And, uh, you know, children are not looked at as a great blessing today as they were back in those days. The Bible says, blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. How many arrows in a quiver? Well, uh, a few. Uh, I don't know, I always look in the movies and see how many arrows in the quiver, and usually there's four or five of them in there. But blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. And then it says about children that they're like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And they accomplish things for the parents. And uh, if you don't have any children, you won't have any of that. Of course, today people say, well, you know, the children don't care about the parents. The parents have to do everything for the children. Why do I want to have children? Well, hopefully it's not going to be that way. And so if we can have children, it's a blessing of the, of the Lord. Of course, there are certain people that can't have children. That's true. But uh, here, it was a great disadvantage to not have children here. And so Gehazi says, 
she has no child. And so Elisha says, well, uh, you're going to have a child. Next year, about this time, you're going to bring forth a child. And that exactly happened. One year later, she brought forth that child at that very time. So she was blessed by the Lord in the place where she needed blessing. But then she needed some more blessing as we go on here. And let's go to verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And so here we have this child. He's grown. And... But all of a sudden, he has a problem in his head, a bad, bad, bad headache. And so he goes home to his mother and dies there at noon. It could, could be he had a, an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm. You know, young people can have those. I remember I worked at the post office, and a young girl worked with us there. And all of a sudden, one day she was gone, and she had had a brain aneurysm, and that was it. And, uh, you know, here we have this. And so the son died that she had so hoped for and was a great blessing of the Lord. So then we won't read all the verses here, but she shuts the door upon him and she runs to the man of God, runs to Elisha. And let's go pick up down in verse 25. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. We still don't have her name, just that Shunammite. But now I pray thee to, uh, I pray, but now run, I pray thee to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And of course, Elisha could tell that probably something wasn't right when she was running to meet him so out of the area where she was. But she answers, it is well. And I think she had some faith there uh, that God was going to help her through Elisha there. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. And Gehazi come, came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? And so here she told Elisha about it. And Elisha sends his servant Gehazi. We won't read those verses. But Gehazi can't raise the child from the dead. <clears throat> and we come down to verse 32. 32. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon the bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door. Notice how he shut the door again. Shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and stretched his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. 
And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, she, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Now, this is a great miracle, the dead being raised. You know, the Pentecostals that say they do all the miracles in the Bible, they don't raise the dead. And, you know, that's what we have in the Bible, though. And, of course, this was a kind of an interesting way of raising the dead. He stretched himself out on the child, eyes on eyes, mouth on mouth, everything on the child. It seemed like the heat went from his body into the child. The child waxed warm. And, of course, is that a miracle we should do today, stretch out on a dead person like that? I don't think so. But uh, that was a miracle back in the Bible. <clears throat> so here we have these two women. They were greatly blessed. You know, women are very prominent in the Bible. Very prominent. And it's been said that the first person that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead was a woman. And uh, we have all these things. And of course, Jesus was born of Mary. And we have all these prominent women in the Bible. Well, what does the Bible have to say about women? It has a lot to say about women. But one thing especially the Bible says about women is that there's a difference between women and men. There's a difference between the two. They're not interchangeable. It's not you go from one to the other and the other to the other and, uh, you know, you become a transsexual or you just decide you're a man or you decide you're a woman or things like that. They're not the same. Women and men are not the same. And, uh, you know, Christianity is what has liberated women through history. Uh, you know, over in India, what they used to do with the women is when the husband died, they would burn up the wife, the live wife, with the husband on the funeral pyre. That's, uh, that was, and you know, of course, they talk about, you know, you don't want to disturb other people's religion. You know, missionaries aren't supposed to go into the Amazon anymore because they're going to disturb the natives and their religion. Well, we don't want to disturb people from human sacrifice, from cannibalism, from all kinds of other things. Yes, we do. And, uh, you know, under the Muslims, women have a low place under the Muslims. And but Christianity is the religion that has liberated woman, women down through history. Not Christian, not women's liberation like we have today. And of course, the women's liberation today is what we erase all differences between men and women. And so women should do everything that men do. Men should do everything that women do. There should be no differences between the two. But that's not what we have in the Bible. In the Bible, there are clear differences between men and women. And here we have these prominent women in 2 Kings chapter 4. But there are differences. And the uh, Bible says even in appearance, men and women should have differences. And I think in the Bible, it's, it's something that's against God's law. If you look in the distance and you can't tell if somebody is a man or a woman, you should be able to tell. And how should you tell? You should tell by their hair and by how they dress. And there should be a difference, some sort of difference there should be. 
Back in the Old Testament, it has a law that a man shall not wear that which pertaineth to a woman, and a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. That's a moral law. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about if a man have long hair, it's a shame to him. That's what the Bible says. And so there are differences between the two. And, of course, that's not a popular thing to talk about today. That's completely politically incorrect. And today, we want to erase all differences, even to the point of people changing into men or changing into women. And you know, the Bible also has different roles for men and women, different roles, different, different jobs for men and women. They don't do all the same things. And you know, as we have in our church, women can't be pastors, women shouldn't be pastors, they shouldn't be elders, and I don't believe they should be deacons either. But anyway, those are differences between men and women. There are things that women do that men don't do, and men do that women don't do. There are different things. They're not all the same. And I, I think the Bible has set up division of labor. Division of labor. Just to give a little bit on women here, since we have prominent women here. But there's division of labor in the Bible. You know, in every phase of society, there is division of labor. When you go to a restaurant, does everybody in the restaurant do everything? No. They have divisions of labor. One is the cook. One is the dishwasher. One is the waitress. They have different divisions. They don't go from one to the other or one to the other. It's division of labor. And in the military, people have different jobs. Division of labor. And that's how God, I believe, is set up in the family, that men have their jobs and the women have their jobs. And you know, it's not a matter of one person is higher than the other. No. It's just different how God has set it up. And as I brought up many times, you know, even in the Godhead with God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, there's division there. The vision of labor, there's a, there's, there's a chain of command there. As God the Father, the Son came to do what the Father wanted, and the Holy Spirit uh, does what the Son and the Father want, and it's a, it's a chain of command, even within the Godhead. And for order in society, God has set up the family, and he has set up roles, and he has set up jobs. And why is the family such a mess today in America? and around the world. Why is it such a mess? Because there's no, there's no order, there's no chain of command, there's no division of labor, and it's, it's just uh, confusion. And, uh, you know, uh, today we have the problem with women's sports. We have the transsexual men going into the women's sports. Well, I've always thought that, you know, if they're going to have, you know, all men and women completely equal so that they all, all ought to be together in the same sports. If they're going to be all equal, completely equal, and everybody does the same things. But they don't do that because it doesn't work because there is a difference between men and women. There is a difference. And now when these men say they're women and they come into the women's sports, they just beat all the women. And they, they basically... And it shows that difference that God has made. God has made a difference between the two. And both are honored of God. These women are honored of God here in this passage. And, 
You know, the, uh, probably the godliest people that I have ever known were women. And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, I remember one woman in particular there in uh, the Chester Church where I pastored for a while. She spent her whole life taking care of other people. And she took care of her father, she took care of her mother, she took care of her uncle, she took care of somebody else, her brother, I don't know what it was, and uh, four or five different people down through her life. And she was a selfless person. And of course, when it was time for her to be taken care of, she was put in the nursing home. But you know, that's the way it is. But anyway, she was one of the most godly people I ever knew. And uh, praise the Lord for that. But anyway... God can honor women, God can honor men, and praise the Lord for the testimony of these anonymous women back in the second kings. And God honored them, God gave them sons, God saved their sons, and God can help us today as well. And we just need to look to him and honor him, fear him. Let's bow in prayer. Oh Lord, we just thank thee for thy word, we thank thee for this passage about uh, the honored women in Second Kings. And, O oh Lord, we just thank Thee for Thy many wonderful works unto the children of men. Guide us in Thy paths. Guide us each day. And, O oh Lord, we pray that we might uh, try to follow Thy word. In Jesus' name, amen.